0: Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Amen. I want to... Really, give a big shout out to the Lord for this week's message, because, like so many other messages, he just hits me with inspiration and in ways that I'm becoming a i want to say accustomed to now, simply for the fact that it's not a stemming thing where I'll just be meditating in prayer and it hits me like he does sometimes, but I'll find in other moments, I may be doing something enjoyable, like watching a show or playing a game or spending time with, uh, you know, anyone. And when I look, God just hits me with something. And it's really amazing to see how he works. So with all that being said, let me paint a picture for you for tonight's lesson. Uh, there's a game that I really like and I've referenced it a few times uh, here in Bible study and it's called uh, The Legend of Zelda. Really fun game um, and you you are the titular hero <clears throat> and it's your job to make sure that evil is defeated. Sounds kind of familiar to uh, what Jesus does for us in terms of this, this fight. But so the, the point is, and it occurred to me when I had a thought, about uh you know just some looming thoughts that I wasn't too pleased with and it's like Lord well you know how do I deal with this and you know studying teaching I kind of know the answer keep praying about it keep putting the word into practice find what triggers these thoughts and you know let's let's squash that let's give it to the Lord and let's really tackle the issue at hand but then something hit me and I won't say something, the Lord hit me when I was playing uh, Zelda. And the description for the the main weapon of the game, which is called the Master Sword, it says the legendary sword that seals away the darkness. And then God does what God does. And he just, he, he laid it on me. So our title for tonight's lesson is called Live By It. And there's a particular passage we'll be starting off with that I know we see in one light, but according to this ministry's namesake, we're going to look at it from a different perspective. And with that, I'll explain one more thing, then we'll hop into the scripture. It's that as the hero of, of this game, The Legend of Zelda, it's your job to go hunt down the master sword, to get it, to go fight evil and to get rid of it, you know, for the time being, because as the the description says, it seals away the darkness, meaning it comes back every generation or so. That's how the game is set up. But in our case, when we go find the sword, which in our case would be the scripture, the word, which is alive and well, we're talking about Jesus here. When we are presented with him, And this word is sharper than any two-edged sword out there. Its job isn't to seal the darkness. Its job is to obliterate it, to get rid of it completely, to destroy it. Jesus isn't in a sealing business. He is in a, a remodeling business. And in remodeling cases, you usually need to destroy something to rebuild from scratch if you really want it to be awesome. So, I'm going to shut down the video game geekiness for a moment, and we're going to hop into the word. We're going to start off in Matthew 26 verses 47 through 54 and Hebrews chapter four verses 12 through 16. And I will put that up for you guys. So starting us off, we have an encounter with Jesus in the garden. So the Bible says, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest slave slashing off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And in Hebrews 4, the Bible says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. All right. So we start off with this titular moment in the garden, right? As Jesus is being betrayed, it's what he's been alluding to since he started his ministry. He often predicted that, look, I'm going to die. This is pretty much how it's going to happen. A lot of it was told in parables up until the very end. And then here we are, the moment has come. And we see something that Jesus says that we have that quote for, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Peter, as we're, as we're made aware to, if you read in the book of John, he took out his sword, he cut off the, the high priest's slave's ear, and Jesus told him to put it away for all who take the sword will perish by it. And he goes on to say that if I really wanted to, I could just pray and the father would send me legions of angels to to come get me out of this. But if I do that, then what would be the purpose? The scriptures wouldn't be fulfilled. So now let's shift some perception here. Jesus is literally talking about the sword. That's plain to see. But when we look further What else is God saying to us? Because the beauty of the word is that there is a depth to it and the deepness of the word extends throughout all of scripture. You just need the Holy Spirit to help push back some of the bushes so that you can see further past the creek. Check it out because this is what God gave me with, with the whole Zelda allegory and it really blew my mind last night. Yes, he is talking about a physical sword, but he's also talking about this condition of ours, this human condition of ours, in retrospective to the spiritual aspect that he is trying to give us if we would accept it. So check it. If you live by the flesh, and we know the the reward for that, it's death. When you try to please yourself, when you try to you know, chase after the bag when you try to go scratch that itch and do who knows what. It could be any number of things because Lord knows the list is long, but it doesn't end in anything but depth. And I heard a preacher say, I want to say sometime last week, I overheard it when I was listening into some ministry with my grandmother, that if a person doesn't love Jesus, then they love death. And I 100% agree because, again, Jesus is life. So if you don't love life, well, then you love death. There is no middle ground, no in between. You, You love one or the other. But so here's the thing. If God himself, if Jesus, the personification of the word is also the sword, and we see that a lot throughout the rest of the New Testament, especially in Revelation, where he is taking up in battle, and he pulls the sword of truth out of his mouth. Really dope, because the the sword is wielding the sword. I like that personally. We see that now, if we have two options to take, either take up the sword of the flesh and then go die by it. Sure, that's you. I wouldn't, I, I really wouldn't recommend it, because the wages of sin is death and you're already dead, and now you're just piling on to that death, and then there's the second death, which is the lake of fire and brimstone. You don't want to do that, or take up the sword of truth, and we know that to live is for Christ, and to die is to gain. So the perishing here that the Bible is talking about, that Jesus says, it is strictly meant in terms of this flesh. Now, Peter, was a rambunctious one, we'll say, because he often got the big head and he acted on impulse like a lot of us used to do, still do sometimes. And it gets us in trouble. We end up reacting instead of responding. And now we talk about that a lot in this ministry because it's very important. When we react, we give the flesh a full empty field to have at it. But when we respond, we take time to say, but what does God want? Lord, what is your will in this situation? Now, Jesus, who had just been praying and sweating drops of blood, could have reacted from the humanity side of of his current status and prayed for the legions of angels like he told Peter he could have done. But the God in him because he is 100% God while still being 100% one of us. That's what makes the Lord so dope because he literally walked the whole race in our shoes. He goes on and says, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? So for us and our sword that we should take up, when it comes to the battle it's not yours it's the lord's therefore when you take up his sword when you take up the word of truth when you take up the blood stain banner and proclaim that Jesus Christ is lord well you're not looking at the perishing that Jesus is talking about because what are you saying if we would just make this bare bones it's that if you live by the flesh then you're going to die by the flesh. And that's just death on death. And we don't like that. We don't like how that math works. But when we take up the bloodstained banner and we try Jesus in his way, which is to trade places with him, which is to take his yoke upon us, which is very easy and light and bearable, unlike sin. Well, then now we're looking at some favorable God math or just the favor of God. And when that happens in our lives, well, now we have something to actually live by because now we're actually living. I know anyone who would be adjacent to what is supposed to be a real relationship with Christ, would have to say otherwise. I'm living my best life. Well, continue to believe that lie if you want to. That's your prerogative. But around here, we like to deal in facts. And the fact of the matter is, is that we as human beings don't know a single thing. But if we want to become wise, then let's go to the one true wise one out there. And his name is Jesus. And more than anything, as we see in the book of Proverbs, he just wants to make us wise. He wants to give us a home, a place, a belonging. This plan that he has built out for our lives, one that we could never be able to reject because it would give us everything that we could ever possibly dream of and then some. And it serves a real purpose. Well, how could we say no? So, Zelda aside, Master Sword aside, any action movie hero that you could think of that has to go get something so they can defeat the big bad of the movie. When it comes to life, we have two options. It's kind of like what Morpheus said, if you've ever seen The Matrix, take the red pill, discover how deep the rabbit hole can really go meaning let God open your eyes to see the truth that you've been bamboozled, but you don't have to be anymore. Or take the blue pill, stay in the lie, enjoy it, do what you want. It's your choice. God is a gracious God who does not make you do anything. But the consequences of that, well, this is your heaven on earth, whether it be a living hell or you actually have some fun. The point is, is that because this lesson is entitled Live By It, what God is saying in this Bible study tonight, or whenever you hear it, is that if you've taken the time to understand that you can't do anything without him, and that your life is literally a wreck waiting to get messier, but you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, and now you're on an actual paved street, well, then you need to live like it. Live by it. Abide. That wonderful word we reference a lot. Meaning, stay inside of Jesus. Don't worry about what the world is talking about. Don't worry about what your friends say, because if they're ad- adjacent to what Christ is talking about, well, then they're not real friends in the first place, or to anyone of that matter. Instead, stick to the sword, stick with it, because Jesus' sword is one that not only reveals you to you, but it helps you get better because it sifts away all the seeds of iniquity. And I know we spent a lot of time on this opening passage, but it's important that you understand the path of this particular lesson. But we move on now to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, John 14, 1 through 6, and Deuteronomy 8, 3 and I'll put that on screen. So the Bible says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the father except through me. And Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, so he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, I know hearing this together, as we often do, it it starts to really paint the picture here. We see that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to go fast and pray in the mountains for 40 days. In doing so, the enemy came after him. And we've worked with this particular passage before, so I'll make it brief to help us get to the the points of this. It's that when we're at our lowest, that's when the enemy comes, because when we're When we're vulnerable, it makes it real simple to want to give in to whatever temptation is in front of us. Oh, you're thirsty? Here's some water. I know you need it. I know you really want it. So why don't you take it? I'm offering it up to you. You don't care if there are strings attached. You just want it. If you're hungry, same thing with food. You don't know what could be in it. Who is offering it to you? What they might want from you afterwards? You don't know. And the same goes for anything in life, whether it be those feelings of loneliness, of anger, of depression. You don't know what strings are being attached to the offer that's coming from whoever is trying to, to, to get at you. But the thing with Jesus is, and one of the multiple reasons why I love him, is that when we're vulnerable, he isn't looking to exploit us. He's looking to make an example of of how amazing he can be in your life. Because like he told Paul, it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. Or in a more modern translation, it's when you're at your lowest that I can make the impossible possible. You didn't think that there would be a source of water for you when you were thirsty, but I'm the living water. I always got you. You didn't think that food would come when you were hungry, but I'm the bread of life. I'm always going to feed you. All you have to do is be open and ready to receive. Well, right here, Jesus is fighting the fight with the only weapon that works with the word of God. When you are in these situations in life, you got to fight fire with water. You don't add more fire to the fire but you you got to fight it with something that quenches it and the only thing that quenches the enemy is God himself you can't do it trust me i've tried in my own ways and what did that do it led me to replacing one bad habit with another but when you do it god's way <clears throat> it doesn't require you to replace a bad habit with a bad habit instead god gets rid of it and now he grasps on to that old spot more of him, meaning now you've formed a good habit where I once would used to probably run after people. I'm now just here chilling, as we say, not to get into trouble, but to look to help someone where I would spend copious amounts of time combing through the internet, looking for some raunchy video to watch. And now spend my time doing stuff like this, or exploring my interests, which involve technology and any other thing of that regard. But you get the point. So we see here that Jesus is fighting the way he's supposed to, with the word. And since he is the word, this is not a losing battle because God doesn't lose. Same thing happens for us when we use the scripture to fight those looming thoughts that the enemy may try to whisper in our ear. So we go on. We also see That Jesus has made us a promise that while we're working for Him, while we take up the sword and while we're living by it, while we are abiding, while we are fulfilling our role as the action hero of our own movie, that now has help from I don't even know what to describe the Lord as in this situation, but let's just say let's just say God, let's just leave it at that. We won't try to make it fancy or anything. We now have help, real help. So whenever we're outnumbered, like how Rambo was in that forest, it's not a one man army and it's not even our fight anymore. God steps in and says, I got this. Stand back. We keep going and we see that he is the way outside of preparing us a place to be with him, but he's the way to truth, to life. He's literally everything that we need. He is our all in all, as the elders say. And then we wrap up where we go back to the Old Testament, where the children of Israel have been in the wilderness, and they hungered, so God gave them manna. And it literally says that this was supposed to happen like this so that God could let us know that it's not about appeasing this body, but it's about being spiritually fed and spiritually watered because my body could give out today. But since my relationship with God has been solidified and I am being fed and watered, well, I'm living according to his word. I am abiding in him. And Jesus himself said that if you abide in me, and I abide in you. Well, you know the rest. There's a harvest. There's a production. There is life. There is liberty. There is truth. There is all of the above. And that only happens when we are living by God. Not just by it, not just by the sword, but when we live by God. And to wrap that up, because here is the dopest part about that hunk of, of scripture right there. It's that when we're at our lowest and we go back to it, anything could happen because the body is in panic mode. I need that. I, I, I really need that. At least we think so. And so we'll do anything, not considering the consequences. And there's that problem with humanity. We don't consider the consequences because we are reacting. We don't care in the moment. And then it's all too late when we come to some semblance of reason. But with God, when we don't try to engulf the fire, but we allow the fire to be put out, when we allow it to be quenched by the only one who can do that, Jesus himself. Well, the response comes. And we see that we're both it is made very clear in the old and the new that we're not supposed to live trying to make sure this is good. That doesn't mean neglect your health. Please take care of yourself. But the end goal isn't to to feel good. The end goal is to make sure that your life is being used to exalt Jesus because he brought you out of darkness. And now it's your turn to share his light with someone else so that they too could walk in the light. Because no one likes to walk down a dark hallway. You could hit yourself. You could get hurt. Something could jump on you and you would never know. And by the time you get toward the end of it, you have been bruised and battered and scraped and mistreated. And the Lord doesn't want that for your life. So instead, let him turn on the light. Let him show you the way because he will be a literal lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. James chapter one, verses 19 through 27 and second Corinthians 517. And I will put that on screen. The Bible says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. We talked about that very recently. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if, there goes those wonderful words in scripture, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if, there we go again, you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then to wrap it all up, God will bless you for doing it. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, meaning keep his mouth shut, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what does this mean in reference to us living by the word of God and in reference to us abiding inside of Jesus? Well, it simply means that if we really say that we have a relationship with God, why aren't we doing what he's asking us to do? You don't go to a job, get trained, and then do nothing that they trained you to do. You get fired instantly. And if you think you're doing a good job, well, you must be crazy. The same thing, as simple as it sounds, applies to the relationship that we have with the Lord. Because I know as humans, we like to make things that should seem complex, more complex than they need to be. But it's very simple. He died for you and for me. And he just wants us to trust his love. And he's given us no reason to ever doubt it. And that trust comes with obedience, the same thing that a parent would, you know, really like for their child to be. Because no good parent ever truly gives their child a reason to doubt their love. Even if as a child, and I've been there because I'm only twenty five, where I may not like what, what mama said, I may not like what granny have told me, I may not have liked what my my grandfather, my uncle, or my dad has told me in my life. But they knew something I didn't because they had some life experience on me. So may not have liked it, but because of the, the blessing that God implanted in my life by just making me a little more trustworthy instead of a little bit more rebellious, well, I listened. And there were times where I didn't, but I tried my best to listen the best anyone can. And it kept me out of a lot of trouble. I've gotten into my fair share because we will, but it kept me out of a lot of bad situations. And that takes us back to the whole point and something we referenced last week in terms of gratefulness. We have a foundation and his name is Jesus. And when we start to veer off the path, God will always bring us right back because he's on both sides. He's prepared the way walking in front and he's in back making sure that you stay the course because he doesn't want to see you in the same wreck of the state that you were before you got to know him personally. And the best part is, is because he's the author and the finisher of your faith, you never have to worry about returning because he is your beginning and your end. Praise the Lord, because I thank him for that. My life was terrible without him. Now in here, we see that <clears throat> when we study the word of God, we're not just supposed to listen to it, but we're really supposed to carry it out meaning that if we want to be religious, quote unquote, and I'm not talking about the the stipulations and laws and decrees that we must follow that this world has made us to believe what religion is supposed to be. I'm talking about what true religion is according to God's view on it, and that is to show love. If you really want to be religious, well then show love. How do you show love? You get to know who love is. His name is Jesus. And when you know God, you know what love is. And if you don't know God, well, then you don't have an ounce of love in you. You may think you do, but that's the world standard. And it is covered in, you know, requirements. Oh, you have to do X, Y, and Z to get my love. Jesus doesn't play that way. Do you exist? Well, then you qualify to get my love. Do you exist? Well, I've already bared it all to give you said love. I just need you to accept it now but you don't have to if you don't want to, because that's how good God is. So if we want to be religious, well, let's show love. If we want to be religious, let's actually do what the word says, and that's to be the salt of the earth. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. That is to be the light in the darkness. That's to be the lamp on the table, shining out, making sure that the city is illuminated instead of just indulged in darkness. That's to make sure that people can see God, not you, in your life. Because if they see me, well, then they'd walk away because I'm not that great. But if they see God, then they'd be drawn to his love and his kindness. And when they ask, well, what's the secret? There is none. His name is Jesus. And he saved me from myself. And he wants to save you too. Matter of fact, he's already done the groundwork, the offers on the table. He just wants you to look over the terms and, you know, the the end user license agreement. And it's not a mile long. It's just one word. It's, It's his name. It says it all. Redemption, truth, love, forgiveness, all of the above. What's not to take? And I know it may sound a little scattered, But I promise you, if you're listening with your heart, it all makes sense because God wants us to just live in him, to not let this world corrupt us, but instead to be renewed by the transforming of our minds, meaning keep your mind stayed on Jesus, as the songs say, as the elders say. Stop worrying about mama or daddy in that regard of of their opinion if they don't have anything to do with the Lord. Instead, pray for them if you got them and they don't. Pray for your enemies. I know it's hard, but Jesus did it in his dying breaths. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because he was living by the word. And because he's the example and he's the goal, well, then we too should live by the goal. It hurts. Personally, honestly saying that right now because of a conversation I had earlier today and the, the craziness of the the racial unrest in this world that we live in, but because our Father wants what's best and knows what's best. Well, who am I to argue? It hurts, but I'm human. I'll get over it. Because I know that if I can pray for my enemies like Jesus prayed for me before he even saved my life, well, then maybe they too have a chance to get on this side and then a lot of this craziness would just start to cease as more people would see his light. Moving forward, Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite Bible verses. John 10, 9, uh, John 11, 25, 1 Corinthians 7, 17, 1 Peter 2, 9, and Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And I will put that on screen. So the Bible says, "For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope." John 10, Jesus says, "I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever, and will go in and out freely and find pasture or spiritual security." 11:25, uh, Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Though he may die, he shall live. First Corinthians 7 says, only let each one live the life which the Lord has assigned him, into which God has called him. For each person is unique and is accountable for his choices and conduct. Let him walk in this way. This is the rule I make in all the churches. 1 Peter 2 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does this amalgamation of scriptures mean for us? Well, this is in a small way what God wants for your life. This is a vision that He has that is being walked out if you have the relationship. One, He knows the plans He has for you. That is on my keychain and has been for years and has gotten me through some tough times because it is a reminder that whenever bad things, or at least in my opinion, bad things occur in my life, it's not necessarily because they're there to take me out or to send me to insanity. But as God said, the plans he has for us are for good and not for evil. And as Jesus said in the garden when we started off, that these things are happening for a purpose. And if you've been in any other lesson, you know that everything that God allows is to build you is to grow you. It's all a part of the pruning process, meaning he is snipping something off so that something new can grow. And when he snips off a dead part of the branch, well guess what happens? It gives opportunity for new branches to grow. And when new branches grow, more fruit is produced, and when more fruit is produced, the more people want to eat of your tree. And it's not you they're coming for, it's him. So when God allows things to happen, it's so that people can see his power working excellently in your life so that they, too, can come and try Jesus for themselves. Then we see who Jesus is to us, who he wants to be, what his purpose is in our lives. It's Savior, but he's also the door. If anybody wants to be done with this crap of a life, if they want to to get rid of it, if they want to, to have a purpose and a meaning and to actually start to live, well, then he's the door and he's wide open to anyone who will walk through. The path is straight and narrow. It's hard at times. It may feel a little lonely, but we know that that feeling of loneliness is just a deception that the enemy tries to send because we're never alone. One, we have a God who has taken his home inside of each and every one of us That are his children. Until we have a family, the family of faith, with countless believers. And we have people that we can go to when we have a need. First and foremost, we pray to our Father, and secondly, He provides, whether it be through a family member or whoever else He chooses to use, because everything in the earth, the riches, the people, and thereof, all belong to our Father. So when you have a need, ask we keep going. And we see probably one of the most beautiful things for me personally, and that's in First Corinthians, that we are all assigned a particular life, backing up Jeremiah 29, where the Lord tells us he has a plan for us. And that particular life is unique to each person and that we are responsible for it, but more so that we are a royal priesthood. We are his remnant of doesn't matter how many people are out there bowing down to Buddha or, or if they're atheist or science or whatever they want to believe in. He has a group of people, me and you, that are still there worshiping him who have not bowed the knee to Bill. And I say that for the particular purpose, because if you've been with us before, you know that everything adjacent to Christ is just another name for Satan, whether they want to admit it or not. But we work in truth and facts around here. So we haven't bowed the knee and God willing, I don't plan to. And thank God I can't. I'm incapable because he's my God. He's my start and my finish. So as I said last week or whenever God threw me, if you think something in your life can remove you from his love, well, think again, because nothing in all creation can remove you from his love if you actually have it. Now, if you think you have it by just listening and not doing, or doing off of impulse instead of listening and then going do what you've been told, well, then take some time and rethink where you stand with God. But rest assured that as long as you're still breathing, you have an opportunity to get to know Him. And I would recommend taking it now. Live by Him. I know it's entitled Live by It, but live by Him. Live by His Word. Live by His love because that's what got us here. That's what's keeping us here. And that's what's getting us back to him. And so we wrap up in Revelation 21, one through eight. And I will mention what I have as a footnote for Jeremiah at the end of this. So let me put that on screen. The Bible says, now I say, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So let me reference this now now that we've seen this, especially where it says that the bride will be with the Lord. If you've ever heard the term a Proverbs 31 woman, you'll know where I'm going with this, but let me explain for those who don't. Proverbs 31, uh, I believe starting at the 10th verse on down to the end of the, the chapter, it describes what a virtuous woman is. It describes all of her qualities, what she does throughout the course of her day, what her goal in life is. And toward the very bottom, it says that her children are are very happy and pleased with her and that the husband sings praises. And that's great because that's wonderful. As a man who will potentially look for a wife one day, I would love that. But we're not looking at the bare bones. I I, I don't like that. Instead, we're looking at that from a a spiritual perspective. And it's not just this idea of what a a wonderful woman looks like, but instead it's God himself giving us an example of what the church is supposed to be. And y'all, when you get that, things start to change. Our job as the church, the bride of Christ, the betrothed, whatever you want to say, Our job is to glorify our father, to make sure that people know that there is a way out of this cesspool and his name is Jesus. It's not some pill. It's not a bottle. It's not weed or any drug. It isn't meaningless sex. It isn't murder. It isn't anything that this world will try to assign, but his name is Jesus. And when we glorify him, when we number our steps toward him and number our days to make sure that every moment possible is spent toward his glory or spreading his glory, well, then we start to embody what a virtuous woman is because we're the church. And as the bride, it is my absolute pleasure to make sure that my God looks good because just like a child represents their parent, It's no different with God. We as Christians, not the religion that started the crusade, but the disciples and followers of Christ who love him. Those of us like that, it's our job to make sure daddy looks good, that Abba, when he sends us out, is getting a good report back. Because just like your parents know, he knows. And what he wants more than anything which is the, the, the whole subject matter here tonight, is to live by his love, to live by it, to take up the sword of the cross, to vanquish first and foremost, our own personal demons, because y'all, we got a lot when we're, when we're not in Christ, but when we get with him, they, 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 they vacate the premises because this is now holy ground. And after that, once we start getting right with God and we become actual balanced people, because we have the Lord on the scale now, who not only balances out the scale, but holds the scale, we can go help one another. Now that the speck is being removed from, well, not even the speck, as as the Lord said, you got to remove the log from your own eye first before you can help your brother remove the speck. When the logs start pouring out, well, then we can go help others and get the little pebbles out of their eyes, because we need Jesus. Fact of the matter. And if we would just persevere, like when we talked about in round two, fight. It's all about endurance. God gives you the endurance to keep fighting. He gives you the tools to fight. And most importantly, he gives you the anchor, which is his love, who he is the embodiment of, and his name is Jesus. So y'all, let's live by the word. Let's fight. Let's get some stuff done. Let's make sure that our parent can be proud of us, because as the Bible says, we're workmen and we study to show ourselves approved so that we won't have to be ashamed, so that we can rightly divide the word of truth to help one another out. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer saying, thank you, Lord. We thank you so much that not only did you save us, but you gave us purpose And the purpose you gave us now gives meaning to life. And God, you just happen to be all of that wrapped up in the beautiful picture of who our Lord and Savior Jesus is. You saved us, God, when we needed saving and had nowhere to turn. You made a way when there was no way. You are our all in all. You are our everything. And Lord, we can't begin to even thank you enough for that. But what we can do, just like Mary prayed, when she said, what can a servant girl like me do for God Almighty? Well, I can give you my heart, God, and in doing so, I can be a hearer of your word. I can be filled at the table, and then I can go do. I can go do what you say, God. I can be given the the bag of talents, as the King James says, or the bag of gold, and I can take what you give me, and I can go multiply it in your name so that people can be helped that I, we're blessed to be a blessing to one another so that when we come back with a report, you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and that we can be welcomed in with open arms because we've done the work. But the best part is it's not even us doing the work, it's you through us because we have made ourselves available to you. So God, I thank you for the courage to keep trusting in you, for giving us the strength to get past the unbelief that may still be residing inside our hearts, because you've never given us a reason to doubt you. And I thank you more so that you love us enough to give us a way to be spared from death itself. And that's to choose life. That's to choose you. So Lord, we love you. And we can't begin to even say that's enough, But Lord, we'll keep trying by showing you through actions. So, Father, please bless anyone who's heard this message. Let them grow from it. If they already have a relationship for you, give them clarity. Show them exactly what they need to do to keep abiding in your word, but to a higher degree. And if God, they don't know you, well, then Lord, let them get to know you and the way that we, your children, do. Because, Lord, life is pretty wonderful with you. It may still be tough. It may still get rough. We still may cry or get bitter or get angry, but Lord, we're not doing any of that on our own, which means that the burden is no longer ours, but it's yours. And as the song says, we can give all our burdens to you, God, because you laid them down just for us. So Lord, we say we love you we thank you, and we'll be sure to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory which you so rightly deserve. It's these things we thank you for in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, family. I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you, and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors, and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.